0: And now here's your host Seth Green. Hi, my name is Ella Green. The best marketing guy is my dad. First, he helps people with with marketing magic. Next, if you need marketing help, he will help you. Finally, if he is a met marketer, my dad is the best.
1: Welcome to the Direct Response Podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the amazing good fortune to be interviewing... Lee Bellinger of Independent Living News. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you, Seth. Uh, great way to great way to start off the week here. <laughs> I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Let's go back in time a little bit. Where did you grow up?
2: I was born in Syracuse, New York. Um, oh,
1: my goodness. That's where I went to undergrad.
2: Yeah, I can. You might pick out a little bit of my accent. And then I, um, my father died when I was 80 at a very successful construction enterprise. My family moved down to Charlotte in 1969. Um, and I ended up ultimately going to, believe it or not, Hillsdale College in South Central Michigan, where I learned about entrepreneurship. And uh, Hillsdale's is one of those colleges that, uh, if you haven't heard about it, it's, uh, it doesn't accept federal money, and uh, they, they won't take federal controls or federal money. And, and uh, it's a very, very truly independent uh, college, and uh, they got me – uh Washington Hillsdale internship program where I ended up uh, uh, getting a couple jobs on Capitol Hill. And that's kind of what got me started. And then it led me to publishing where I've been in for, gosh, 28 years now, 28 years in, in for-profit uh, publishing, and Independent Living being my main publication.
1: Sure. How did Independent Living get started?
2: Well, I used to write a lot. Uh, I had a newsletter called in- American Sentinel, which is what I purchased from the Tom Phillips – Phillips Publishing Enterprise, uh, which was about a $300 million enterprise at the time. And I was a I was a part-time writer, uh, writing for them, uh, freelance. So the third year, I went to hit them up for uh, uh, a pay increase, and they said, would you like to become a publisher? We'll get you set up, and we want to sell you American Sentinel. They were getting out of political newsletters. So in 1988, I started uh, American Sentinel and uh, published that Right up until uh, 2006, and the reason I stopped with American Sentinel was simply because uh, some, you know, awesome, uh, there were 24-hour news reporting was coming online, and, uh, you know, excellent public, you know, uh, uh, the Drudge Report and a heck of a lot of other really great uh, political reporting outlets uh, were coming into being, and I just noticed that the self-reliance space uh, in the country was... Was uh, really badly was badly underserved. It had a lot of people in it that I thought were, you know, not people I'd want to move in next to me and paranoid and skinheads. And I said, heck, you know, this is something for I want I want to make um, self-reliance something that's respectable, something that people will will embrace and do and take control of their lives. And and it was that was the essence for independent living. It's like it was more. It became a, a basically a how-to. Uh, for for high income households and how they how they actually uh, do everything from create panic rooms to to uh, 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 the generators and water and they do it very discreetly and it's not a nutty thing at all. Uh, where I just noticed that. You know, there were a lot of people that were kind of nutty, and I was like, no, 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 this is this is where we need some adult supervision. Somebody needed to come into the industry and try to make it uh, something that, you know, you would be proud of doing. And actually, you know, when the more people become independent, the more independent people are, the better the country gets. And it also has the potential to spread. So that was uh, in 2006. That's when I started independent living. So it, it basically uh, – I just uh, converted the subscribers over from American Sentinel to Independent Living. and it...
1: Ab- Absolutely incredible um, story. Let's talk uh, – so I mean Independent Living obviously has – you've grown it significantly. How many subscribers did you start with at American Sentinel and how many do you have now?
2: I had uh, a whopping 1,500 uh, paid subscribers with American Sentinel and – the circulation of Independent Living's uh, close to forty thousand paid right now. It goes it's, sometimes it goes as high as sixty. It can get as low as thirty-five. Depends, depends on uh, what's going on. But I do have a a very uh, aggressive uh, 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 print subscriber acquisition program, and I have an excellent, uh, very fortunate to have some very fine people helping me with my uh, web operation, which is pretty big. I got about a couple hundred thousand people who follow me online, and uh, I also. We we do um, uh, unique inventions uh, in independent living. Uh, we we created a product called the Power Whisper, which is uh, the country's first EMP resistant electromagnetic pulse resistant uh, solar generator that can be generate. It can generate electricity in three different ways, not just solar. And uh, I, it's got uh, multiple redundant systems internally. When I first looked into that, I was telling you about what I didn't like about the survival market. So I bought like four of the top solar generators and they were very corporate looking but not very capable and and they weren't they were about as portable as a grand piano. So I created roll up panels and made a lightweight unit that could do 2000 watts and you know provide real power and i i made it a basic military design and i've sold several thousand of those to to people who are my readers so it's been a lot of fun so i do basically i do what i would call boutique manufacturing uh not not big manufacturing but i also you know i when i went into the solar business set um one of the things that really bothered me was a we had a bunch of people come by and try to tell me how to make solar work and i had one guy that was a representative of the chinese And, you know, and I'm just going to call him Mr. Wong, but let's just say that Mr. Wong was a little bit patronizing, didn't think that you could make solar generators here in the United States. And I felt like there's a market for quality, higher quality goods. Not everybody wants to buy the junk and then have it break. Like you go to Walmart and buy a vacuum cleaner and it's broken inside of three months. And I was just getting a little sick of seeing that. And so power whisper has like about 15 different innovations all because i didn't have to uh, create a cookie cutter assembly line overseas and i just said you know what i'm going to use local boutique manufacturing uh, here in south carolina in this case and we fabricate them here so you know I, I have a and people respond very well to these things because we get a lot of suggestions on how to improve both our product and our newsletter and so i've had a lot of fun with it so that's That is absolutely incredible. What do you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Oh, you know what? I was way too much of a lone wolf. Um, I never really studied the work of the greats like I should have. And the guy that turned me around on that was our mutual friend, Brian Kurtz. About five years ago, I had a business partner. We were were, – it was like a $2,000 a day thing that he was doing up at Boardroom Reports and I just thought that was a crazy amount of money, and then when I went up there, and I spent the day up there, and I listened to John Benson, who was the speaker, I was like, oh my god, I'm so missing the boat. Um, I I, I could have learned so much more by by studying the greats, and so I've been on a, you know, last four years, I've been working hard to study up on what other people have done instead of just relying on my own uh, knowledge and experience with my list, so, you know, I, I do have a lot of insights into the uh, people i serve but it, but uh, when you, when you study the greats it's a little humbling and then you and then you uh, really can step up your game and uh, that's been a big help to me that's great advice
1: what have been some of your biggest business mistakes cuz not everything works and
2: what did you learn from them i uh i <laughs> The worst thing I did probably I went I, I I allowed myself to get distracted. We went into the bullion business, precious metals business, and it was really quite a boon. It, it the, the first year we went out, uh, we were we were just selling you know what was going to be an in-house service, and we ended up selling over 110 million dollars worth of bullion in the first year, but. It's like three percent margins, and so I'm not smart enough to work with three percent margins, of, and uh, and and so it was uh, it was a cumbersome business, and it was a difficult business, and and disgorging from the business was, it was a long process, and uh, it uh, just you know that was uh, basically I think that the uh, you know avoid the shiny objects and the distractions, and stay focused on your customers and what they need. Um, And it's so easy to get caught up in in, uh, going down another road, uh, thinking that you're doing the same thing. But I think I I like that book called Essentialism, which basically tells you uh, forget about the good options. Forget about the great ones. If they're not superb and excellent and and where you want to be consistent with where you want to be in five years, just say no to it. Learning how to say no is the hardest thing, was the hardest thing for me to, to learn how to do. Uh, In business. So, and, you know, most of the time, you know, I'm mainly, you know, my background is mainly as a writer, a content developer, and a marketer. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, the operations of a business were always a little more uh, outside my knowledge base. But I think the biggest thing to do is know when to say no, and, and just put a stop to things that are not productive. Know when to
1: say no, and put a stop to things when they're not productive. I think that is very helpful. Well, um, as entrepreneurs, I don't know if you've experienced this, but uh, a number, myself and a number of our guests included, have have gone through the entrepreneurial mood swings. <laughs> You're on top of the world when everything is going well, and you laugh. So obviously, you resonate. <laughs> and then you feel like, you know, the everything is crashing down on you when it's not working. So, what have been your lowest and highest
2: entrepreneurial moments? Lowest and highest. I I think um, this is, dates me a little bit, um, but I did a big. In nineteen eight in eighties when Reagan was still president, I actually did a mailing about sanctions on Libya, which seemed like a really hot topic at the time and my mailing was hitting and uh and when it hit the uh Reagan had ended up reading Libya so I looked like a wimp, you know, calling for uh for sanctions. That was one memorable thing and Uh, so I've had a few, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of, uh, I mean, I've had a few fiasco launches, but they're, they're more comical than anything. I did a, I did a line extension, uh, on the power whisper with a smaller little hand generator that I thought was cool. And that was pretty stupid. And, uh, and I, I built 18 of them and I think I've still got 16 in stock, um, you know, yeah, they're they're click collect- they're awesome dust collectors. Uh, you know, so so uh, you know, I, I got in a couple of ventures that I didn't that, that were not optimal. And you know, the big thing is to avoid people who distract you, unless they've got something really positive to bring to the table for you. Um, and, and, and yeah, you know, I've had, like any other entrepreneur, I've had moments where I just were, you know, uh, I just want to, I just want to quit this business. I want to go work for my competitors or something, you know, but then I, I get over it pretty quickly. Whenever I have a failed launch, I, I sulk like Achilles in his tent for a day. And then I, and then I, uh, after I'm done feeling sorry for myself, I go back to work. So, I mean, just one day, that's not bad. That's not, it's not like I run around for a month. Uh, but you know, it is important to get off the mat and get back up. No matter what, and then eventually you realize that nothing can fundamentally hurt you if you've developed your skills and you develop your. You know, you can always start over if you have to, but you don't generally have to. I think it's just a matter of of picking what what you what you're really really good at and eliminating everything else. I mean, I, I know that's a, a well, uh, you know, pretty big area, but a <laughs> pretty big area. But uh, you know, there's also uh, the other thing I think is is true is. I think that lots of small decisions are better than a big breakthrough. You you make lots of small decisions and, and the results are gonna be larger than the sum of the parts and I think that works in reverse too. So when you're when you're turning around a bad business situation and you make ten or twelve important changes, it's a little bit like you're on a on a on a, a big big steamer at, at sea and you, you turn the, you turn and you know, they're at full speed and you turn the rudder and nothing appears to be happening for four or five miles. And I think that's the way business works too. Both if you're going in a bad direction, lots of little decisions accumulate and eventually become a big, big, huge, larger than life problem. And I think if you make lots of little good decisions, it takes time. It does, you, nothing appears to be happening at first. And then all of a sudden, lots of good fortune is coming your way. So uh, I just encourage people to remember that because even if you decide on the right course of action and you take the tough decisions that are necessary to get there, uh, you don't necessarily see it right away. And you have to learn to be patient about that.
1: I think that is excellent advice. What do you like best about your business?
2: I I like creating inventions and finding openings where others are not doing a good job. Uh, and and uh, finding underserved markets and trying to talk to them and I like for example uh, I I probably I I believe that in a lot of ways uh, email for example uh, is compromised uh, is regulated very heavily uh, by service providers and uh, they're regulated it is kind of a backhand regulation and Uh, I think that uh, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've maintained a print footprint so I can talk to people over 50 uh, more effectively. And I and I, you know, that's where I think my market is. And so um, I'm a little bit of a contrarian there where I mean, I do have a large and sophisticated web operation, but I would never give the print up because it's a lot less regulated and I'm, I'm free to speak. I'm much more free to speak, and I don't have to worry about somebody shutting me down or changing the algorithmic goalposts if I build a model around Facebook and things like that. Because they just keep changing the rules on people, and they, you know, they when they don't like messages, they censor them, and everybody just thinks that's normal. I find that very alarming. I, uh, you know, uh, radio is relatively free in this country as is print, uh, but if you're completely dependent on email communication, and, and you know, from a from a big publisher where they they have to self-censor as a matter of course. I don't think most people realize that uh, yet. So you know, radio, radio podcasts, uh, relatively unregulated as are, as are as is as is uh, print. But as you can see, uh, you know, like the FCC, uh, they were actually seriously talking about regulating people uh, for making political jokes, and uh, they were, you know, uh, they went after they've been after a couple of conservative movie makers and things like that. So the speech issues are really becoming a big problem. Uh, you know, I would anticipate if Hillary gets elected, uh, they will continue down that path uh, toward uh, speech regulation. So uh, I'm always glad, you know, any chance I get, like, to be on radio, uh, which I, you know, I just think that's an awesome medium. Uh, it's an awesome medium as is print, and it and it respects the needs and the choices of people over 50. I think they're probably in business. There needs to be a little bit more of that because, in most of the folks i talk talked to, oh, we need to hit those people under 40, and I certainly don't disagree with that, but I still like the over-50 market. That's where the money is, and that's where a lot of the wisdom is, and a lot of the uh, – maybe it's just because I'm older. <laughs> Who, I don't know.
1: I think all of that makes great sense. Let me ask – you have a relationship with the largest, one of the largest publishing companies in the world, Agora. Can you talk about how that came about?
2: You know, um, just – because we rent each other's lists and over time uh, i've I run into them at conferences and uh, my friend brian kurtz uh, has introduced me to a lot of people and we've just they're they're a fabulous company um you know i, I, I some of the most brilliant people in the world work there as far as the marketing and the, the founder of the company bill bonner continues to uh uh carry you know uh, give it give it a lot of heft and so I respect them a whole heck of a lot. There's a couple others as well, but they're they're the big ones. And and uh, yeah, I do a lot of business. Uh, it's a, I regard them as a friendly competitor. It's one of the nice things about about publishing is that you know if you're subscribing to Porter Stansberry, you're, you can uh, uh, you typically will subscribe to four or five other publications that are that that uh, people like. So there's a there's a a lot more collegial relationship possible. But now, if you're selling bullion, you know, it's a zero-one-one-zero one, one, zero game. Somebody's going to get the business and somebody isn't going to get the business. But if they're going to listen to me, they're probably going to listen to Porter and they're going to listen to, you know, they're going to listen to all of the uh, very fine newsletters that really are, you know, out there. Um, Keith Fitzgerald newsletters are awesome. He, he does some fine work and uh, they're the money map people in Agora. I'm a big fan of those guys, and I just, you know, so it's it, it's a real opportunity to to see and work with some of the most brilliant people in the world. They've got huge deep pockets, and they've got they've got uh, they've got all these systems and and procedures in place that that just generate wealth for you know decade after decade after decade, and they survive everything. Seth, they you know. Uh, anything that happens they're they're ready for and they're so and you got to respect them for being in the prediction business is not be, not an easy thing to do i mean i've i've had a couple like big predictions for me that put me on the map um in american sentinel in 1998 i was really distressed about the world trade center and you know it had been attacked uh and and uh it was pretty clear that it was gonna be attacked and I actually I drew up an artist's conception of the World Trade Center being destroyed on the front page of American Sentinel in February nineteen ninety eight and so you know you you go in the prediction business and you really try to try to you know things that that appear to be obvious and i uh that that you know people know are coming but they just don't know exactly how, when or where. And uh, that's, uh, I respect Agora for those types of, uh, those types of predictions. They're really good at it.
1: Absolutely. Is there anything that drives you crazy about your business?
2: Oh, sure. I, you know, the, the mechanics of running the business, uh, you know, they're never as exciting as creating things. Uh, there never is, ex- you know, there's like any, any other, any other, any business has its downsides that you don't enjoy and. I would say that what I enjoy the least about it is, is I'm still involved in the personnel issues. I'm still involved in trying to select the right mix of people to create a superb customer service operation. Um, I still find the need to, I, I, I mystery shop my own organization, uh, meaning I'll just go on lines lines and, and just go like a customer and find out how my customers are treated and and then, uh, and then when there's something I think is not where it should be, I have to chase it down and make it happen. Uh, so th- those types of things, uh, I wish I didn't have to do that, but I do, and uh, it, it makes for a better business.
1: Absolutely. With all the
2: success you've achieved, what's your biggest challenge now? My biggest challenge now is as I continue to invent new products, uh, scaling them up, I'm not sure that my personal skill set is awesome for scaling up i like i said i'm more of a marketer it's like i uh, i can write a marketing package i can write content uh develop content and i can lead teams to do that but uh but uh the the, the skill of, of of scaling up is something that i that's not one of my strong suits so uh that's one thing if i could fix or improve i would look for a way to do that
1: okay you are a voracious learner. What
2: do you read every month? I'll tell you what i i read I read all the Dan Kennedy stuff. Um, he's got what is it, fifteen books out there? Something. I think it's over twenty, but you're pretty yeah. somewhere. Yeah, around yeah there. you can make a career reading his books. And then uh, the guy that really brought me around in this learning thing was Brian Kurtz. I I uh, I'm in his mastermind group, and uh, you've got. Some, I mean, some of them are direct competitors of mine and good grief. They're brilliant. And, and they're, they're reading, they're reading all the books. The one on essentialism, I highly recommend trying to remember the name of the author. Uh, that's a, that's a terrific one. There's a book by Stephen King about on writing, which everybody should read that. Uh, and, I don't even get a chance to read a whole lot of fiction anymore because I'm just, I'm, I'm reading as much how to, I read a lot of John Carlton stuff. I read, uh, I, you know, Clayton Makepeace stuff. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a pretty good writer and, um, I just try to follow those guys. I, I, I follow the work of David Deutsch uh, who works with boardroom and I think several others. And so, you know, following, following those people is, pretty full-time work uh i think the big you know if you're in the business of i think the probably the most influential book with dan kennedy for me was marketing to the affluent um that was that's one of that's a very very important book he's got out there absolutely that is my all-time favorite what is the best advice you've ever given best advice i've ever given um gosh i don't know uh I think the biggest thing I tell people is is uh, when you get knocked down, get back up. Do not lie down. Uh, you know, nurse your wounds if you must. And like I said, you know, even when I get pushed back, I'll go sulk a little bit, uh, but not for long. And that's the key: is get back up. It's resilience, resilience, resilience. And that's the difference. I mean, uh, you know, you can look at anybody's career: Churchill, Trump. They all were down in the dumps, and they came back. They just decided, you know, I am not going to stay on the ground. And uh, that's a, that's a lesson. That's a lesson that I've learned, and I, I give that advice to pretty much. It's it seems so it seems so elemental, but but you know you got to think big. And when you get pushed back, and the other piece of advice I believe it's important is there are process people inside your organization, but you have to decide that your organization is going to be about growth. And you're not going to listen to anything less. I mean, give the bean counters their due. They're important. They, they keep you out of trouble. They help you manage and control your risk. But all you can do is manage and control your risk. You can't make it go away. So um, that's, uh, that is a critical life skill that, that pretty much any entrepreneur I've ever talked to has that same observation.
1: Who is an ideal reader for independent living?
2: Typically, there are people who like me, who want to, I just, well, let me put it to you this way. I think that in every generation of Americans, there's a handful who keep the flicker of freedom alive and that informed people are the foundation of our very freedoms. And so, People who are what I would call information junkies, they like to follow the news, but they're looking for somebody who's got a background a little bit like mine, where I've worked on Capitol Hill. I lived for five years on a yacht uh, in, on the Potomac River, uh, where uh, it was called Off the Record, and I had uh speaker of the house. I've had people on that boat and... Instead of trying to do a K street office, I simply made my office my vote available for political fundraisers for a very nominal amount of money and got to meet people and I think what you do is you simply uh, you simply try to leverage everything you do everything small and large to give you the maximum advantage you can you don't have to take anything away from anybody but you just you try to find ways to to uh, uh, connect with people um, that can help you understand where the larger opportunities are. And that's that kind of all just circles back every time. And, and you know, part of it is to stay alert and aware. I try to read five papers a day. Uh, my reading is very, very, very important because it gives you a sense and turn off the phone while you're doing it. Uh, do not allow minor distractions. You know, for every uh, for every email you take or worry about, every text message you take or worry about, it takes a long time to get back on track. So you know, get inside, get inside, read widely, read as much as you possibly can because it puts you in a meditative state where you see the opportunities uh, before you. And uh, you know, so I will, I will also, you know, if I I, I like to get the seminar sets from. Brian's group and others, and Dan Kennedy's stuff, and I listen to it when I'm stuck in the car. Uh, You know, I use every opportunity I can. I mean, I like to listen to music and the news a little bit, but I still like to, you know, the 30 minutes it takes me to go to work, I'm picking up four or five hours of uh, critical uh, seminars and so on. So I I always recommend that to people is – Uh, In in whatever field you're in, uh, find out who the bell cows are. Uh, Bell cows, you know know what a bell cow is? Have you heard of those? I don't. What's a bell cow? A bell cow cow is basically, uh, think of yourself as a farmer and you see the cattle moving. And if you watch the cattle flows long enough, for whatever reason, the cattle follow one cow. Nobody knows why. And that farmer puts a bell on that cow. When he wants to lead that herd, he simply leads that particular cow that's got the bell on and they all follow. And that's what their opinion leader in the human world is their opinion leaders and their people that are, have outsized influence. And when you, when you uh, study what other people are doing, try to know who the bell cows are in your field. Uh, you know, and I've got, I've got a friend who's uh, he's got a, a boxing events he's putting on. And I said, well, you know, make sure the reporters who cover boxing in your local paper are there uh, make sure, you know, the charities that, that you know, high profile charities in the community have representatives so they can watch, go to the police department, tell them how you teach uh, underprivileged kids how to box and and make them better adults, that kind of thing. And so, you know, in any field you're in, I don't care what it is, all businesses are the same that way. Uh, look for the opportunities for the goodwill building and look for the opportunities for people that are influential in their own spheres, and then cultivate relationships with those individuals. So, you know that basically enhances any business and also your personal life. For goodness sakes, that's always good. But it could be, it could you know, it could be uh, somebody who's in the Kiwanis Club or he's got a book club or uh, or he's got you know something. But usually they're fairly well connected people. When you're talking to one person, you're talking to a hundred in effect, especially if it's in your chosen field of business.
1: Absolutely, and what is the best place you want them to, folks who meet that description of who your ideal client is, to go to to learn more about you and join the independent living community?
2: Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, the Um, independentlivingnews.com, independentlivingnews.com. It's a great starting point, Um, lots of uh, very good free information there, Seth, and also about uh what we do and and how we do it and uh, there's uh we, you know it is it is a, a significant community we've got uh in a tribe it's very tribal and uh and the people are it's a it's a real privilege to serve them
1: Okay. This has been Seth Green with Lee Bellinger. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Anything else you want to share that I didn't think to ask you?
2: No, Seth. Uh, just, uh, I just, I uh, just, just wanted to thank you, and uh, maybe uh, we'll be catching up with that meeting we talked about. And uh, I, I just, uh, I appreciate the uh, the honor of being on your uh, broadcast. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. Take care, Seth.